0: Hello, and welcome to Books in the Corner, the podcast where me and my friends reread our childhood favorites and discuss how they continue to impact us today. In this week's episode, I am joined by Theo, Scott, and Christina to wrap up the Narnia series with our discussion on The Last Battle. Editing Lissy jumping in here real quick for a brief explanation on how this episode is going to work. Um, due to very poor time management skills on my part, we were unfortunately unable to schedule a time where everyone who was interested in covering this book could call at once to discuss all together. So, what we did instead was Christina and I called and had our small discussion, and then a few days later, I tried to pick it back up where we left off and continued on with the discussion with Theo and Scott. Um, I was also having computer issues at this time, so the audio is a bit off balance with everyone, so I do apologize for that. But that being said, I am so excited for you all to listen to this episode, and thanks for being here. Enjoy! (music) Enjoy! hello and welcome back to the pod uh we are wrapping up our discussion of the narnia series and for an awesome amazing wrap-up episode i have my good friend christina here with me today say hi christina (laughs) hi um so yeah we are finally to the end of narnia and we're going to be talking about the last battle Christina, how has this book in particular impacted your childhood or your adult life?
1: So this book was the first Narnia book that I remember because my mom went through the books and read them all to us. And this book was like actually the only one that I actually remember her reading to us. She did funny voices for like Shift and Puzzle and it, it was her favorite book. So she read it to us a lot <laughs> and so i mean i think it shaped honestly my faith in like how i deal with my questions with my face
0: yeah this this book was the book for me that like made me first think about like the end of the world and what happens after the end of the world and where do we go and and how does it all work and it was it was definitely like very foundational for me as well in terms of the questions i started to ask and then like the paths i went down because of those questions so yeah you and i have had quite a lot of fun conversations about narnia and i feel like mostly this book in particular comes up quite a bit when we talk when we have talked about it in the past
1: yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I don't really particularly remember any of the conversations specifically. I just remember <laughs> having great conversations about Narnia with you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know I know. we talked quite a bit about this book. And then um, uh, we debated quite often over the fact that I find the Voyage the Dawn Shredder movie to not be that bad. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's, that's
1: true. I still don't agree with you on that, but whatever. That's okay. I I actually rewatched it, and it wasn't as bad as I remembered. But it's I don't think it classifies as a Narnia. Mm. I I think they left out too many integral parts of it to yeah. actually count as a Narnia. But
0: so oh so the way that this book opens is probably for whatever reason one of the like images of Narnia that. I always remember because it opens with a shift and puzzle at Cauldron Pool, and the whole mm-hmm. like process that they go through of finding the lion coat and getting that all like the the plan comes into play and just you mm-hmm. like the establishment of like the relationship between shift and puzzle, which. Is not a good one.
1: No, that was, uh, yeah. I feel like it was a really good way of opening the book, but it doesn't. It doesn't make me happy. <laughs> yeah, I don't like how Shephard's puzzle. It it makes me annoyed.
0: Yeah, it's definitely like, especially if you're reading through all the books, because I feel like all of the other books have such like positive beginnings, mm-hmm. and then this one, yeah, it's, it's like. You're going into it knowing, like, this is the end of Narnia. And it opens in such, like, a sad way. Yeah. And it, like, really sets sets the tone for the rest of the book.
1: Yeah, I don't think I had noticed that.
0: I think, I really do think that this is, like, the saddest book. Because, like, literally all of our favorite characters are dead. Which we don't learn about until the very end. But they're all dead.
1: Yeah. But I think that the. I don't think it's the saddest book because the hope that's like instilled as they go into the new Narnia and they see their parents who also died and like just see everyone and um, like the hope in the book makes it almost the least sad of all the books. And I think honestly, um, Magician's Nephew is the most sad.
0: Oh, interesting. I've never heard that.
1: It makes everything their fault which it is it's the like the death story of the fall of creation and all that but it's definitely more sad than the end of creation
0: Mm. interesting yeah i think i think just like i don't know i i i i see where you're coming from and i think that's really interesting because i've never heard heard that side before but from just for me i as a kid i always sobbed when the horses came in towards the end and it was like we're gonna win it's gonna be okay and then like it so quickly all of the horses just die yeah and it's so
1: sad sad moments but overall isn't the most sad book
0: (laughs) And, but then even at the end, like, of course there is, like, the hope, because you get to this point at the end where it's, like, all hope is lost, and nothing, like, where, how can anything look better now, and then we go into Aslan's country, and there's all that beauty there. But then there's also, like, the subdued moment of, like, Susan isn't there. So it's not complete doesn't That's feel true, complete. But they
1: also have the line of like once a quick king or queen of narnia always a king or queen of narnia so like yes Susan's not there but the expectation is that she will be. Mhm. It just not yet. Yeah. It's hope for her too. Because throughout the book they were talking about all of them and like how Susan is, Susan is the only one who never showed up to the meetings and like and then at the end it's a restoration of even her story arc by that one line i feel like the whole book is more of a restoration than an end
0: interesting i can see that yeah
1: because like it begins with all the death like i think i think it's like the second or third chapter where the king is there and then the um the wailing tree comes in oh, and it's yeah. like oh all my brothers and sisters are being chopped down whatnot what for and um and then like that's the beginning of all the death. And then it ends with everyone being restored.
0: I forgot about the tree. That was It was not the
1: trees. Where like she like falls over dead yeah. in the first like second chapter.
0: Yeah, you're right. It all really
1: because Shift didn't get his oranges.
0: I feel like though this especially cause at least in the order that like I read them. Um You're coming into this book from The Silver Chair, which is just not a fun book to read (laughs) because it's so confusing and nothing makes sense. And then you're coming into this book and the characters, even though they're all new except for Eustace and Jill, the characters are all new, but they're all such like deeply developed characters and they all have such good like flushed out like individual voices Mm -hmm. i think that that really like helps add to the the like suspense but like also just the overall like feeling of the book and it really like brings you back in whereas the silver chair kind of made you like not want to be here anymore
1: (laughs) that's fair i think I think that the last battle is most lifelike in a lot of ways. Mm. Like, Aslan never shows up until they're all dead. Well, not exactly, but like, basically, until they're all in the stable.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, it, so, like, they all know about Aslan and know the plan and, like, what he's going to do and what the promise is, but they don't see it. And, like, everything is falling apart in the world. And they're just like, doing the thing that they know that they're supposed to do. And it's just the most human, and I mean, most of them are animals and or like- Yeah. <laughs> um, it's the most human experience of like faith of the books.
0: Was there anything specifically that you remember from the last time you read it that like stood out the most to you?
1: Probably Farsight the Eagle. Mm. <laughs> like, uh, Cause when, Tosh comes into the into Narnia and like the darkness surrounds the all of the main characters you know and like Tosh goes by and they're all like this rotting smell but then they they like go back to the hill and they meet Farsight this is the right right yeah, yeah. <laughs> is Farsight the one in, I might be saying the wrong name it might be the one from Horse and His Boy but um He basically is like, I've got two pieces of bad news, and each is worse than the other. And it's like, your world is coming to an end. And now you can know it, but you already knew it because you saw Tosh. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And everything becomes so much more real as soon as the death of everyone is announced.
0: Mm -hmm. That's something else, is is the character of Tosh. Is so, like, we don't... He's he's like not even like physically he's not even in it that much, but it like he's so like his presence the minute that um he's like put in like the name Tash is like put into like a physical form. Mm -hmm. It's so like it's it's scary, (laughs) like it is it is a very scary description. And I think uh, something that always stood out to me was how the um what was his name like the general would kind of talk about tash in a way that like it was clear he didn't actually believe that tash was real and then when he sees tash just like the absolute terror in his face
1: mm-hmm.
0: um i don't know why but like the last time i read it that's really like that moment really just stuck out in my mind i really appreciate how jill is less annoying in this book
1: (laughs) well isn't that the same throughout all the books like especially with like eustace and jill the Mm -hmm. first book they're absolute pigs and then the next book they're like they realize their mistakes and like they realize their mistakes in the first book and then become something more like nice yeah (laughs) like eustace stops uh getting
0: mad at reap cheap all the time and like yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it's like I guess I should have said the dynamic of Eustace and Jill is less annoying mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's true. because um even in the Silver Chair, which was like after Eustace's whole experience, like he's he's not he doesn't have this like Edmund situation Where it's like he was bad and now he's like essentially perfect in what we see. Not really perfect, but like, you know. Whereas like we got to see more of like Eustace still struggling in some ways. Which is always nice to see. But just in the dynamic with him and Jill, it was really annoying. And so it's really nice in this book to have that dynamic work a lot better. And not be as annoying it's what what we see more with the other characters in previous books
1: i think he grows to respect her more
0: yeah oh yeah for sure
1: he becomes more competent but like he grows to actually respect her as a person
0: yeah (laughs) yeah Sorry, I'm so tired. Like, all of the discussion questions I had are just gone (laughs) from my
1: brain. That's fine. I get it.
0: Um, Trying to think.
1: Okay, so quick question. Who out of the non-main characters is your favorite?
0: Oh.
1: And I'm guessing you probably don't know all their names off your top of the off the top of your head, because I don't, so like,
0: just description if you can So like in, like in this book specifically? Yeah. Um, oh, that's hard, because it's, because I find in Narnia especially, there's like less of a clear line between side character and main character, because so many of them, because I, my first instinct would be, um, Jewel the unicorn. That's fair um but he's also kind of a main character so is, yes. i guess i'd say ginger the cat you like ginger <laughs> i mean i don't oh i don't like ginger but it's just like it's just the way that his character is written is just like fun cuz it's like so evil <laughs> I don't oh know. God. I don't know. Like, like, because throughout throughout this entire thing, like all of the all of the villains, so like shift and puzzle. Oh, I love puzzle, but again, like puzzle, more of a main character. Like I don't know. Um, plot device. Plot device. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The dynamic with shift and puzzle. It's so frustrating because you can empathize with puzzles so much and it's just like just speak up once and like maybe and it's just like it's that frustration and then like ginger comes in and it's like still bad and it's still wrong but he's like very logical about it and i just find it really interesting to when when he shows up what about you
1: think you turned the question around
0: yeah.
1: um uh I kind of want to say Tosh mm. because like he's personified in this one where like there's throughout the series there's been like a good and a bad like the white witch and like the the green witch I think in silver chair yeah I don't like silver chair yeah <laughs> 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 um, but like throughout the whole thing, there's like a bad and a good. And then there's in this, the obvious bad is shift.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: but there's something bigger than shift. like like just like there's something bigger than like the high King Peter. there's something bigger than shift, the ultimate bad guy mm-hmm. or like um, in in horse and his boy, it wasn't there wasn't exactly a bad guy. They were just all running from the past and yeah. like what they were in. But this one, there's like showing how throughout the whole thing, there's always been something bigger than the human or whoever was in control at the time.
0: Yeah. it's also really interesting because at, at the end, um, I can't remember who asks, who asks it, or I think like Aslan says something along the lines of like, like if you if you believe oh gosh i'm gonna misquote it it's gonna not be as good but something about like believing in a false god like be careful what you believe in because you never know if it'll like come true or whatever it's not that it's a lot better than that but
1: it's like be careful of what you call upon because some of the things that you call upon are bigger than you think they
0: are yeah and you never know what's gonna answer yeah that is really cool and it's also and it's all because like Tash also like in which we really only before this heard of Tash and the horse and his boy and it was almost turned into more of a, a comedic thing there because of um Rabidash yeah Rabidash and then like uh corin being being like does it does it, like someone was like the bolt of tash falls from above and then corn was like does it ever get caught on a hook halfway like it it wasn't like yeah. a, a serious thing and so in this book we get to see that that side of like oh no this is like a, a religion like this is something people actually believe in and it's scary and it's it's like you said it's like it's so much more than just the the people who are in control. It's like the the bigger thing behind them. You and I once talked about the end of the book. Um when they get so when they get into Aslan's country and what's his name? I can never remember the names. What's his name? Who was a
1: Oh the Clorman soldier? Yeah, guy,
0: the Kalorman soldier. I can't remember his name. Yeah, I don't I'm trying to find it, but I can't I don't see it. Yeah. But um
1: Like how he goes into the, the heaven of that world in like Aslan's country even though he believed in Tosh. Yeah.
0: And it was yeah. it was something about like how like the Tash he believed in was was one whose character was closer to that of Aslan's and further away from this big, evil, terrifying Tosh that, um, that, uh, Shift was using, um, to terrify people. Um, so that, what, if, if you're, if you're up for it, what are, what were your thoughts on that when you've read that in the past? Uh,
1: in the past, it made me really frustrated because I was like, there's, one god can't really get through uh, get to him through any other means but the bible mm-hmm. but recently i've started to realize like the difference between special and general revelation which i feel like might be miss you at its fault <laughs> 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 yeah so like um it, I, it stopped bothering me when i realized that like reveals himself in many ways and it's not just through the word that's been written down by um by people and like that um if you if you don't know then there's like you can still understand Mm -hmm. just because you don't have the specifics down doesn't mean you can't you can't get the concept
0: (laughs) yeah yeah that that part of the book for me always they're not always because i honestly i don't know if as a kid i even like if that even if I even comprehended (laughs) the depth of that um but like as I've been reading it like recently it's like I said like this book to me feels very sad and so this scene kind of feels like a moment of like comfort in a way and it I think it's it's also it's also um like a way to talk about like nothing is black and white and belief for some people isn't always black and white at least in like the way that we think about how things are like like organized religion and stuff is laid out i think it's really cool because it it shows that redemption can come to anyone through any way um or like people can know god through an infinite amount of ways and not just through like being shown a bible or not just through being like this is jesus like there are so many ways different ways that people come to know god um and it's like really comforting that that is in a children's book um because that's not something that's talked about like much at all oh and then and then the running I loved the, like, running and the further up and further in part of the book as a kid. Like, it's yeah. just this, like, exhilarating, like, freedom. The freest free that you could ever feel, like. And they like. It's
1: just weird at, at running up a waterfall. That, I was about
0: to like, say. <laughs> that was just, like, the one thing I was like, why? <laughs> I know. Like, the gravity just doesn't exist here, I guess, anymore. Some and either the weight like, of water, you know, mean? Yeah. Water? Something that I always was so confused by was like what the land looks like because it talks about like they like they see their parents in like England but it's Aslan's country and their vision is like a telescope and it's it was like that was something for me where I was like I like I'm so confused
1: <laughs> I honestly I have a weird mind but I pictured it have you ever watched the Lego movie where like they go to the little kitty horse uh, world. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's different clouds. Yeah. We're watching that movie. That's how I pictured it. <laughs> and I got sad when I watched the movie. I was like, I'm so. That's not
0: acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, <laughs> so they're I
1: basically just assumed they're like separate. But they also said that they could possibly reach their parents if they wanted to. Yeah. Which is so weird, like. Did the parents then know about Narnia?
0: That's, that's something else, is, like...
1: because like, they obviously, the parents waved back or whatever. Yeah. So they had to have seen Narnia, but, like, so are we just in different heavens?
0: Yeah. Or is it, like, (laughs) are there, like, multiple different types of heaven, and they're all connected, and you can visit the different types of heaven? Oh, my gosh, that would be so weird.
1: Wouldn't it be? So, I feel like it
0: would
1: be interesting theology with, like, how many times did Jesus have to
0: die? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or that kind of gets into, like, a Dante's Inferno-type scenario, where it's, like, layers of heaven or hell or just, I guess, any afterlife. But the, The descriptions are, like, so bright and happy and colorful and, like, clear but also, like, what am I looking at right now? Yeah.
1: I feel like most of the book was very non-descriptive, like, C.S. Lewis's style is kind of, like, described just enough that they get the idea and then can fill it in themselves, like a coloring book, basically, but, like, then there was that, and it just didn't fit, -hmm. (laughs) and, like, he's describing everything to very strong detail, and I, I don't know, I never understood
0: (laughs) it. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think maybe, like, I would imagine he was just trying to, like, describe the just splendor of Aslan's country. But it's a very hard thing to describe. Because it's supposed to be the best, like, the best of the best that you've ever seen. But it's better than that. And,
1: yeah, like,
0: like we don't yeah, know. Like,
1: when they entered the description of the fruit... Just like like the juiciest strawberry you've ever tried, but also like a banana. Not not the exactest, yeah. but like mixing things and like super juicy and like, <laughs> quite and like made it sound good, but as soon as you thought about it, you're like, I don't think I'd like that. <laughs> yeah, it's like
0: it's like in theory, yes. And then the more you think about it, the more you're like, uh, That makes me uncomfortable. <laughs>
1: like, like, making the most flavorful strawberry feel like cardboard in your
0: mouth, but I'm just like, do I want that much flavor? I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Feels like it would
1: be overwhelming. It does. Just, like, overstimulation to the max. For
0: sure. (laughs) The way, like, the descriptions of, like, like, like again it's the descriptions but like that like i feel like i could like feel that like you know know. you know when you like pick up a box like when you pick up a box that someone spilled water on and And it's just like yeah this most disgusting feeling but like in your mouth which is the last place you want it
1: if you were reading on a paperback you're just like what if i just fit this yes that's what the new strawberry that's what fruit is
0: (laughs) i love that we get to see reaper cheap again that's really fun
1: that's true yeah it felt like everyone who had ever been in the thing was there again like yeah the, uh, c.s lewis he didn't he didn't t- say everyone who was there mm-hmm. but like he mentioned enough people that like you're like oh yes the hare who could hear whispers at care pair bell from under the waterfall he's there but like he didn't i don't think he mentioned that one but like Yeah, it just made it that everyone who was supposed to be there was there.
0: Yeah, and puzzle. Yeah, yeah. He (laughs) brief puzzle. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I think like he briefly mentions like Lucy was off to the side talking to a fawn, and it's like (laughs) dumbness. Yep. Like the reunion though, I don't think I don't remember, but I don't think we see the beavers at all, which is kind of sad. Like
1: I, I feel like they were implied to be there, though. Like I think they are. The assumption is that they're there, but because they didn't mention them, it like everyone who's there, like who's supposed to be there, is there. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to mention everyone. Yeah. And then you know that everyone's there, even though they're not mentioned. Yeah,
0: that's a good point. Yeah, because l- literally, the, like. Mentioned-
1: beavers are like maybe they didn't mention someone else because they weren't as important and weren't there yeah but like the beavers were obviously supposed to be there
0: yeah yeah because they were like fighting the resistance and like yeah doing all that they stuff. had their broken into they did mrs beaver had to leave behind her sewing machine
1: that was probably very sad
0: that was probably very sad and then Mr. Beaver gave- Where
1: would gave... you get a sewing machine in Narnia?
0: I know, right? Like, who makes them? Like, what,
1: what is the, technolo- the technological level of Narnia?
0: Like, everyone- it's... Yeah, like, there's not electricity.
1: No, but somehow she has a sewing machine, so presumably it's, like, foot-powered? Yeah. But then how does a beaver in a high chair use that? <laughs> I mean, it does describe the high chair thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Unless it's, like, one of the, like, hand ones.
1: It could be. But I feel like with beaver arms, it would be too yeah.
0: short. I was about to say. So I just
1: could... pedal that you go back and forth pumping mm-hmm. it. I don't know.
0: Also, what does she sew? Cause
1: Presumably like... clothes and, like, curtains and I see the fault in my thinking when i said clothes because yeah because um, they don't
0: wear clothes unless she like I, makes clothes for other mom, people
1: scarf, so like some of them have to wear some clothes
0: that's true maybe she and like dwarves
1: but... oh. she has a side hustle for the dwarves
0: She's a side hustle. <laughs> i love that she just makes dwarves clothes all the time that's amazing
1: oh my gosh all the dwarves worked for the White Witch, so she's selling to people who work for the well not all people oh. like work for the. But it has to be a side hustle, or maybe oh. it's actually a legitimate business that she's ashamed of. Yeah, But,
0: but she's so
1: close to? Also, there's no implication that they have any form of currency, so
0: I don't know. That's true. It is, Although like better yeah, like, there's like because there's yeah. like slave trade and stuff, and we know yeah. there's gold because of. <laughs> Like the crowns and, and... Mm mm-hmm. Because the the islands were supposed to pay taxes and that sort of thing. That's right. And like did it willingly because they were freed from a dragon or something. Yeah.
1: Need to read these books.
0: (laughs) They're great books. I highly recommend. I mean, I, I know
1: I've read them so
0: many times. Yeah. Yeah, me and Miss Hewitt, I had to like i had such a hard time editing because she did she's done a few episodes with me but she did the Don shredder episode um and that's both of our favorite books and so we just had such a hard time like not talking and i there was so much there i think there was like about two and a half hours of audio <laughs> and i had oh to God. try and cut it down it was so hard because like i wanted to keep it all in but <laughs> it's you still have made two or three episodes out of that. I could have honestly, I probably should have, but I didn't. It's an hour and a half long oh, <laughs> full <gosh>. episode. <laughs> it's not nearly the the That's magician long. the magician's nephew episode is two hours long. <laughs> so... <laughs> huh. All of the I'm other the ones are shorter.
1: Like one that I've listened to, like read the. Like, second least, right under, like, yeah, over a chair.
0: Yeah, it's like it's a great one, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's not one that I like need to keep revisiting. That's true. Yeah, The Last Battle actually used to be like my second favorite.
1: Yeah, it was I... tied with Horse and his boy for a long time.
0: Yeah, yeah, now it's. It's kind of moved down a little bit more, but I st- it's still in my top three, for sure. Yeah.
1: What's the third in the
0: top three? Ooh, that one's really hard. Uh... Well, okay, so my my first, my favorite of the series is Dawn Cheddar, And then I think it goes mm. Horse and His Boy, Last Battle, Mm-hmm. Last Battle and Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe are tied for third, I think. There And then Prince Caspian, Magician's Nephew, Silverchair. I
1: think I'd have um, Horse and His Boy, um, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. I think I'd probably put Last Battle and then Dawn Shredder prince caspian and then uh, silver
0: chair well thank you so so much for doing this on such short notice it was really fun my pleasure i enjoyed it immensely and let me know if there's ever any book you want me to cover or if you ever want to you are welcome to come back on the podcast and maybe do a longer episode sometime (laughs) that sounds fun Hello, it's a few days later, and I am now joined by Theo and Hi. Scott. Yo. And we are going to continue this discussion of The Last Battle. Um, well, they are going to start it for the first time, and I'm going to continue it. Would either of you like to share um, how how or if this book has had any impact on your life?
2: Uh, I can say uh, much like the last one, I, I guess uh, to a lesser extent, actually. Maybe um, I wouldn't say that it necessarily had a huge impact on my life. Um, it definitely um, left an impact on me in terms of my writing style, though, because mm-hmm. I, I, really, I really like uh, really like C.S. Lewis's writing style, and I think also with this one, there's like very distinct and like memorable imagery. The, um, that is pretty unique to this book. And I think that's always kind of stuck with me. Like, I, I also haven't read this book in a long time, but I remember it much more distinctly than The Silver Chair because of the of um, the imagery that's involved and a lot of the uh, symbolism that's involved as well. So in that sense, I guess it, it, it left a pretty big impact on my imagination, if that makes any sense at all. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's what I would say yeah yeah for me a lot less like like okay
3: so obviously every well every kid growing up christian reads the the Witch in the wardrobe and it's like impactful like it's it's a big book for them but this book it was much more i don't know it so not to jump ahead but it's obviously relates to revelations Mm -hmm. um and that was always confusing to me like both Revelations itself and this book then. But I think for me, like personally, I just loved Puzzle. Um, he and Edmund are up there. They're like <laughs> my favorites. <laughs> and I think they're I think there's definitely a common theme there, but I, I just love them. So that's that's the big impact it had on me. It's just I loved Puzzle, but I was really confused about the book when I was little.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a big it's a heavy, heavy book. Um, for me, I had and still have a lot of questions about death and what happens after we die. And in some ways, this book was a bit of a comfort for that, um, until it was like, Susan's not here. And then I was like, oh, dang it. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's definitely, uh, Christina said that it had a big impact on her faith um, and how she viewed certain things, and I agree, the same for me, um, and it really just, like, opens the door for a lot of kids to be able to, like, ponder more about what happens after you die, which is kind of a big thing, kind of a, a existential crisis thing, maybe for some kids, but, um, yeah yeah i really liked it and it's still in my top three favorites from the whole series so yeah all right so on your most recent reread of the book if you can remember um what was something that stood out to you the most
3: again not to be all social justice but <laughs> i did not remember that they put on like they literally put on blackface yes
0: i was so, about to talk like, about really? yeah. yeah okay So, so it's after, um, it's after Jill and Eustace appear and they've freed Tyrion from the tree and they go to like one of Tyrion's many hunting lodges that I guess is just still, um, like locked up and the Kalormans somehow haven't thought to, to take those. But anyway, so they go in there and they're like, we need to make sure that we have disguises so we can walk around freely and nobody can notice us. So they're going through this, like, the armory and this whole trunk that has, like, disguises and stuff in it. And one of the things is Tyrion pulls out, like, a container that has a dark paste in it. And he's like, we can rub this on our skins and it will permanently dye our skin a darker color. So people will think that we're Kalorman and it won't come off until we use soap. Yeah. So, yes, it's literal blackface. It's literal. I did not remember that at all. Yeah, this that is that is one thing about this book is like it is probably out of all the books has the most racist things in it because throughout the entire book, like the dwarves refer to the Kalormans as quote unquote darkies and it's just not great. yeah Yeah. the rest of the book is great but this but like it's something that hasn't even in the horse and his boy it never really came up at all that much Mm -hmm. and then in this book it is very much like kind of in your face a bit there's a lot of talking about like white being pure kind of so not great Mm -hmm. not the best no hasn't aged well in that department but. I think, um, in line with that, there are a lot of, especially
2: in *Horse and His Boy*. I think it struck me. Um, there are some problematic elements of the ways that Calormines or Kalormen—I don't know—I remember that's are, are depicted in general, just in terms yeah. of like this, like kind of foreign group. They all have big beards and you know darker and, skin or whatever. Mm. Um, I think that there was just some. There's some dated assumptions about foreigners um in, de, within that depiction just in general um, yeah that is consistent throughout the series um, definitely mm-hmm. but i yeah i didn't remember those specific sequences in last battle that's very unfortunate
0: yeah right
3: yeah it's i would say it's the most blatantly racist of the books like it, racism shows up the most and of course the it's the narrator speaking, it's not Lewis speaking himself, but it is still things that Lewis wrote. So you have to wonder, is it like a commentary or like he has his heroes putting on blackface? Do so you wonder? And, it's, and as a kid, I didn't see any problem with that because I was just like, oh, it's a fun disguise. And they're like, of course, they have to put on this disguise so that people don't see them for who they really are. Mm-hmm. But again, like, if it's a children's book should be glorifying putting on blackface or being like, again, like, um. The, I don't know, the, the, okay, how do we say this? The Kalorman? Cal- Calor-
0: I always said Kalorman. That's calorman? how, that's how the audiobooks, I think, pronounced it.
3: Okay. Yeah. All right, we'll go with that, yeah. The Kalorman are, in my estimation, like, reading this, they're meant to be rep- representation of Islam. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know, just the incredible disconnect like we're both abrahamic religions and we're all human beings but they're somehow the other in this Mm -hmm. book and they're very like stereotypically described Mm -hmm. so i don't know like obviously lewis is a product of his time but at the same time
0: yeah these aren't good things Yeah. yeah 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 there is however like that whole thing at the end of the book with emeth i believe is his name that's my favorite yeah and it's it um i have it written down or not written down i have it um bookmarked but he the conversation that emeth has with aslan and aslan essentially being like i am like a good deity and tash is like a bad deity so even if you do things in the name of tash but they are good things you are doing them in my name and if you do things in my name but they're bad things you're doing it in the name of tash so it's like which feels in some ways contradictory to like all of the bad racist things (laughs) that goes on in like in the earlier parts of the book but i i That's a part that I find really beautiful and that I always really, really liked. Because, again, it kind of uh, eased my mind about, like, what if there are, like, good people, but they don't believe in God? and But there are bad people who do believe in God. Like, what happens?
3: Yeah, I don't know how theologically that works. Like, just technically, like, looking at the Bible and saying, like, oh, the only way through heaven is through Jesus. Mm Mm-hmm. I just genuinely don't understand it it all, but I I like to think that people who do good things and believe in the right, like, you don't have to, like, for example, in my Bible class, they say, you can know God without the Bible. You can know that there is a God by looking at nature and being like, oh, this is so wonderful and marvelous. There must be a creator out there, but you obviously aren't going to know the specifics of Jesus dying on the cross for you. Mm -hmm. And so... I think that somehow like if you believe in a good god and you do good things in the name of that god
0: because like faith without works is it faith at all mm-hmm. um not not
3: saying that you have to do good things to get into heaven but you know
0: yeah I Me mean, <laughs> um, you have to maybe not be like a genocidal maniac that probably yeah. would would like i'm guessing i'm just guessing I don't think Jesus would be a fan. I d I don't think Jesus would be a fan of that, but
2: um, in line with that, um I I, I've been thinking about this a lot semi recently. Um and actually one of the reasons ironically that I was thinking about it is because I I read Mere Christianity by C. S. Lewis. And um there's a section in his book where he writes I I don't want to misquote, it's something along the lines of saying that we should be open to the idea that there are people who we would not necessarily consider Christians that are saved. Um, And it it got me thinking about this. I think we have this incredibly Westernized notion of I'm going to publicly profess my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to go through all the motions. And then that's how I express my faith. And that's how I know that I have attained salvation. Um, I think we kind of need to move away from that a little bit, in the sense that we can see Christ working in situations where we wouldn't necessarily say, "Oh, that person's a Christian." I think that um, I think that we should have a more universalistic, I guess, approach to that, in saying that we're not going to put. Christ, we're not gonna put God in a box. I mean, even consider the fact that um, the Old Testament, I mean, none of the people in the Old Testament are Christians, right? They're all Jews. So it's, it's, we maybe need to detach ourselves a little bit from this notion that the only means of eternal salvation is to do it in a very, to to, to be a Christian in a very specific set of steps, and to look like what we would imagine a Christian would look like. Um, so, I, I, yeah, that's that's something that's been on my mind recently, so it's interesting that that, that
0: kind of came up. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that kind of all also has to do with a, a big part of this book, which is trying to understand the character of Aslan and trying to come to terms with the he is not a tame lion. Because that is, um, Shift uses that as like a manipulation tactic to get all of the animals to like do what he wants but then you also have a lot of conversations between Tyrion and jewel and the kids trying to be like but is this actually aslan because we know like as the stories tell he's not a tame lion they're they and they they're constantly asking the question like this fake aslan or these things that this that shift is saying that aslan is saying like it doesn't feel right but then again he's not a tame lion so what who are we to say that it isn't aslan and that's something that i've been thinking about a lot recently of like there are a lot of scary things in the bible that mm-hmm. god made happen um and like how do we come how do we put together that picture of God that we get and also the like the loving, kind, accepting God that we are shown in the Bible. Like it's it's two sides of a coin and it's so hard to to imagine both of those things being the same God and trying to come to terms with what that means in our lives is oh it's a big thing. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's it's yeah, it's something that this book I I think talked about quite a bit. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I think the main reason that I currently don't consider myself a Christian is because of the Old Testament God and because of how he acts. Like, he at one point tells people to dash children on the rocks. Like, these are, I don't know, like, how do you justify that and like a loving, kind God who wants all of his creation to do well mm-hmm. i just i can't I, I don't know how but at the same time if that god is god then his morals are so far above mine that i can't like my morals are screwed up there's no way i can understand
2: mm-hmm. so
3: it's just yeah it's really difficult
0: the, okay this is something that Kristen and i talked a bit about um i mentioned that i feel like this book is the saddest narnia book in a lot of ways, and uh, but she um, disagreed with that and said that, in her opinion, it was the most hopeful of the Narnia books. Mm. Um, and I'm I'm interested to know what what y'all's take on that is. I mean, I think I uh, I agree that it's more
2: hopeful than sad. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, a huge the, the main idea at the end is that they. Entered heaven and have entered a perfect eternity of peace and tranquility and, and love and all that. Um, but at the same time, there is something uh, I'm very much opposed to living life for heaven or for the afterlife. Um, and so there is kind of like that disturbing element of, uh, I mean, you can't escape that. We're always going to be struck by that dread to some extent like, what's going to happen after I die? Um, And so in that sense, I can see how it may feel more disturbing necessarily than hopeful um, in a lot of ways, because there is a lot of, in the book, there's a lot of violence that precedes them entering that place. Um, But I I don't, I think, I think the idea is that it's supposed to be more of an encouragement than than any sort of um, foreboding uh, message. Although, I mean, actually, I don't know, maybe there is supposed to be some foreboding element in there as well. Uh, I, I, I see it. I see it as more hopeful. than Sad. Yeah.
3: Yeah, in my research leading up to this, which was a total of like three websites in 15 minutes. But <laughs> um, there was a focus on like, one of one of the sites I was on was saying that in this like, post World War Two era of like, writing, um, there was there was a lot of secularization of Europe, which I think we've all seen. Um, but there were so there were a lot of writings about, like, oh, this is dreadful, people aren't going back to Christ. This is so this is so horrible. But two, two books, um, two authors were hopeful and through it all. And that was C.S. Lewis in his Chronicles of Narnia and J.R.R. R. Tolkien in The hobbit and obviously the lord of the rings but the hobbit was the one mentioned um and so i do think that there is supposed to be hopeful but i personally see it more as upsetting um especially the people that i relate to most i I love puzzle and i love jill and i love Eustace and like they're great characters Mm -hmm. but the people i relate to most are the dwarves
1: who are just disillusioned
3: and so tired of being caught up in things like they just don't understand and so they're they are doomed to spend eternity in that stable eating what they think is like cabbages when it's like a feast, mm-hmm. and it's it's heartbreaking. I hate it, but yeah. I, I I can't make it work with my worldview. But it's it's
2: just so sad.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, definitely. Oh,
2: sorry. No, you go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say the image of the of the dwarves just kind of sitting in the darkness is uh, second to Tash just straight up eating shift hole, Yeah, um, that's like some of the most disturbing imagery in the book to me. Just them like yeah. solemnly sitting in darkness, you know. Yeah, um, I just find that so resonant.
0: Yeah, this book in terms of like violence and like descriptions of violence, not just like violence, because most of the other books, like there's a battle at some point. But you never get, like, a description of what's going on, and you get that with this one, and not only that, but you get, like- Like, I've talked a bit about how I'm frustrated with how a lot of the characters in these books, like, the emotion isn't there. Um, but in this book, there is a lot of fear. There is a lot of, like, the- like, the nausea that one gets when you're anxious or like afraid there's a lot of that um both jill and eustace openly cry at least once which is not something that we see in the other books like emotions are very much kind of not the point at all and it's not that they're like a main focus here but but fear and like this sense of dread definitely is and i think like, we get- there's just- this is why I personally think it's- it's the saddest book because the descriptions of all of the animals, um, just, like, the look on their faces when Shift is, like, telling them that Aslan is angry with them and Aslan doesn't want to see you right now because you've just been so bad and he's done so much for you. And then, um, something that really got me- I mean, the, the first description of Tash- when they see him walking through the woods. That is sickening. Like it's it's terrifying. But then also, um, when uh Farsight the Eagle finds Tyrion and the kids and Pagan the Dwarf, he tells them that he's just flown over Care Paravel and has seen the Kalormans have raided it. There are people lying dead in the castle. Um the village people surrounding the castle are running away into the woods, those who are still alive. Like it's just it's such like care Paravel is such a central like like structure throughout the books. it was it's was the home of the Pevenseys for like their entire reign, and it's such it's like caspian love like everyone's at some point it shows up in every single book. Except for I guess magician's nephew, but and then to to like hear it described as like all of the people in it are dead, and everyone else is running away. It was just so heartbreaking. Yeah, and it also reminded me a bit of Prince Caspian, how um, the Narnian people they, they were under attack, and so the those who survived were running into the woods specifically. Because, um, like, all of the Narnians were hiding in the woods during the reign of the Telmarines. Um,
3: that's interesting, actually. Like, I know Lewis viewed nature as, like, a a symbol of God, almost. Like, mm-hmm. this is where you can be close to God. Um, this is God's creation and not corrupted by humans. Um, and, of course, like, that's my own words, not his. But... Yeah. Um, i guess just the fleeing of like the Nardines are like god's people in this book mm-hmm. so in the series so the returning them returning to the woods as a place of haven safe haven mm-hmm. that's just that's just really interesting to me
0: yeah and it's also it's also sad too because kind of the first like attack visible attack that the kalormans well, made yeah. was to chop down the trees And this is something I also thought was interesting. The first place that they started cutting down the trees was Lantern Waste, which was where the Pevensies first came into Narnia. Um, Mm. I just thought that was really interesting because that is like a very sim- has become a very symbolic place for Narnia and obviously the image of the lamppost is like, if you see a picture of a lamppost on the internet, everyone's like, Narnia! (laughs) So it's like, yeah
3: yeah it's very much a parallel and i think one thing that i didn't like actually in this book is in the end when they're all at the door peter closes the door instead of lucy
0: yeah that i
3: think that lucy should have done it
0: I. or th- even
3: diggory or polly
0: yeah yeah i think i think that would have been like just a really cool full circle moment I spent a lot of the last episode ranting about how much I hated Jill and Eustace. Um, Yeah. (laughs) um, But I actually, I really love them in this book. Um, Jill has grown up quite a bit. Although it doesn't make a lot of sense that she's suddenly, like, extremely good at navigational skills and, like, following the stars. Because she's like, she's like, re- like following the stars and leading them in the pitch darkness, and guessing they're immediately. And Tyrion is like, if you told me she was of, she was related to dryads, like I would believe you. This is amazing. And Eustace is like, oh, it's because of our adventures through the mountains last time. And it's like they were there for like a week, and Jill was complaining the entire time. So I'm not sure how. <laughs> She would have gotten these fantastic navigational skills just from that. Um, but it is also really cool because this is the first book where we see a main female character actually fighting in a battle. we We hear that Lucy fought. we We know that she did, but we never see any descriptions of that. And in this, we actually get to, from Jill's perspective, see. Um, her fighting in the battle and using a bow and arrow apparently very well. Um, and this, oh, something else that was really dark was Eustace, um, killing someone and him being like, I hate this. And then it's just never talked about anymore. But anyway, I just, I thought that was really cool. And she's also really sassy in this book which i appreciate like at some point eustace is like jill what do you think will happen if we die here and she's like well we'll be dead we get a more mature duo with jill and eustace this time around so
3: yeah and something i really liked is that um we know that people are like like the friends of narnia they are together and they are talking about Narnia and they were working to get back to it at some point. Like Mm -hmm. they, they, it's not just like, like in, in Prince Caspian, we get the sense that they've maybe talked about it, but they haven't like delved into like, oh, let's do this. Let's like, we could do this. Like, it's not, it's maybe like, oh, remember when this happened Mm -hmm. more than a, topic of conversation that they go deep in and stuff. But in this book, we get to see that they've, they're talking to Diggory and Polly, they're talking to Eustace and Jill, like everybody is part of it, like the seven friends of Narnia. Yeah. And um, Hold I on. don't know, something, it's just something really interesting, because on the one hand, we know that the Pevensey's are never going to go back, but they're still... Except like embracing it,
1: mm-hmm.
3: except for Susan, of course, which is its own topic of in and of itself. Yeah. But um, um, my idea was like, oh, she probably just because she knows that she can get back to Narnia because it's been done before. Mm-hmm. She probably just went and went like, I'll practice my navigational skills. I'll practice anything I can so that when I get back to Narnia, I can do better. Mm-hmm. But then I realized like they don't have the same stars in Narnia, as explicitly stated. That yeah, different stars and things. Yeah. So, I don't know how
0: she navigates. Yeah, it's if it, they do like Jill and Eustace do talk about how they've been practicing archery together okay. since. Which, like, how they're doing that in London, I don't, because <laughs> they're like in my backyard, and I'm like, do you have a backyard in your London house? But okay. um Anyway, so like we know that in terms of like archery, they've been practicing. Uh, mm-hmm. Eustace has had experience with a sword before, so I guess that's just, like, all muscle memory. But, yeah, no, the the navigating the stars, um, wouldn't make a lot of sense. Her being able to, to like, be good at sneaking around does make sense. Because it also talks about how, like, she's joined the Girl Guides, which is, like, Girl Scouts, essentially. Um, yeah. and so she's probably learned a lot from that. But, yeah. Anyway, love that we get to see her doing some really cool things. And some, she takes initiative in a way that Lucy never did. I think
2: the, uh, the scene with the giant at the end where he like, takes down the sun is kind of cool.
0: That is really cool. Yeah. But, sick.
2: But also, does the... <laughs> that was one of the... That was one of the things that I really remembered from the first time that I read it. It's just like, yeah,
0: yeah that's cool. Yeah, the ima- yeah, for sure, the imagery of the world dying is so vivid is really like how it talks about the the dragons and the lizards eating up the trees and the plants and then they they lay down and die and then their skin decays and then they're just bones and then the bones are like decaying and they look like they've been dead for millions of years like it's so cool but also like did did the giant because the giant was like on the other side of the door in narnia and then he pulls down the sun and then everything dies and then they close the door. So it almost reads like the giant didn't, like the giant died as well? Like the giant wasn't yeah. a being that went into Aslan's country? I don't know, I didn't really understand that part, but yeah.
2: is, is the giant a Narnian? Is that implied or is he ju- is he like some sort of
0: more I don't know I don't know how to describe it, like primordial creature, or yeah. Something. Like, like, because it- maybe, maybe he's like the physical embodiment. Like, because I, I read some summaries before coming here because I haven't read the book in a long time, um, and some of them literally describe the giant as Father Time.
2: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, yeah so uh, so it could be that he's more like a physical representation of time than uh, yeah, than, uh, necessarily like a, an actual like person
0: that would have been walking around you know yeah yeah and aslan does say because i think it's either jill or eustace recognizes him because they they did see him and in the caves when they were rescuing rillian um and they Mm -hmm. saw him sleeping and aslan says like yes this is father time but um like once he has served his purpose like he will have a new name now or a new name here, I think is what Aslan says. So I think it's kind of implied that he goes into Aslan's country, but also it never, dis- like, describes him going through the door.
3: Yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't remember the bit about the new name.
0: Mm-hmm. I do remember that they saw him, and I do remember that, um,
3: of course, that he sweeps the, the, the sun out of the sky and stuff. But. Yeah yeah i guess i always saw him as like this is a representation of time and like since he doesn't have any agency really like he doesn't make his own decisions he just only exists Mm -hmm. to mark the passing of time and to consume the world at the end basically
2: i just i just never saw him as an individual and maybe maybe he is i just i haven't thought of that
0: yeah Mm -hmm. it's also hard because we don't know like he doesn't seem to talk like i think he gives like like, Aslan gives him, like, a nod or something, and he, like, nods in response, but he never says anything. So, he is, yeah, kind of, like, this- I almost imagined him- um, there's this, like, mythology book I had as a kid, and there was a picture in it of Gaia, the Earth goddess, and how, like, it was, like, her lying down, and, like, the shape of her body was, like, the mountains and the hills and stuff, and then she, like, stands up, and it all moves, kind of, like, I guess- tefiti in moana yeah so that's kind of how i always imagine him a bit as yeah. kind of being like a part of the earth and then he like stands up and then dies but i don't know
3: yeah i i read a book when i was younger called the rise and fall of mount majestic and i don't remember who it's by but it's very cute um but in it there's like a mountain that rises and falls each day and the mountain turns out to be the stomach of a giant who's snoring oh away and like yeah so that's why it's rising and falling but um yeah that's exactly how i pictured it is <clears throat> uh sorry um just the the earth itself is
0: rising up mm-hmm. at, and it's a person all of a sudden like mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah oh uh the uh, the description of him taking the sun out of the sky we get a bit of a throwback to charn And how the dying sun there was red. And we see as Narnia dies, the the sun turns red. I thought that was really cool. Yeah,
2: that's a good observation.
0: I also want to make a quick correction. Because I've said multiple times in past episodes that we don't see the beavers or puddle glum in Aslan's country. And that is not true. We get a lot of people. There is literally a whole list... So there is, let's see, see there was Glimf- Glimfeather the Owl and Puddleglum the Marshwiggle w- and King Rillian the Disenchanted and his mother the Star's Daughter and his great father Caspian himself. And close beside him were the Lord Drinian and the Lord Byrne and Chumpkin the Dwarf and Truffle Hunter the Good Badger with Glenstorm the Centaur and a hundred other heroes of the Great War of Deliverance. And then from another side came Kor the King of Arkenland with the King Loon his father and his wife Queen Erebus and the brave Prince Corn Thunderfist his brother and Bree the horse, and Huynh the mare, and then, which was a wonder beyond all wonders, to Tyrion, there came from further away in the past two good beavers and Tumnus the fawn. Wow. So we get literally everybody. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like the whole gang was there, that's crazy. Yeah. Oh, and Fledge, and Frank and Queen Helen. King, oh. King Frank and Queen Helen. Um, so... Yes,
2: Frank is cabbie, right? Yeah,
0: the Cabby. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, um, Cheap is there as well. And I also want to just give a quick shout-out to Mr. Tumnus, who refers to Aslan's country as an onion. Which made me think of Shrek. (laughs) There's many ways. Yeah. I think,
3: so one thing I was thinking about just now was, like, in relation to the dwarves, um, I've heard the saying, and I don't know who it's from but hell is other people is like i think it's a play where you're you think you're i don't know if you think you're in the good place or something that's a shout out to the good place but, shout out
0: <laughs> shout out to the good place um, one of the best shows the, ever
3: <laughs> such a good show but um the idea is that because you are there's like three people and you're trapped together and they you just rub up against each other in like the most awkward horrible way and like um like, maybe you really hate when somebody says like all the time, and then the other person in the room says, oh, like, I don't, I don't know, like, you know, um, <laughs> and the idea is hell is other people, because being trapped with somebody else, just, you get so annoyed with them, and it's just, it's just horrible. So that was mm-hmm. what I was thinking about with the dwarves, is like, they're just fighting so much. They really are in hell, like, they're, yeah they're in this horrible place, but... With that list at the end, I'm wondering if maybe Heaven is other people as well.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. I think so. Because like, yeah. even even in the not afterlife, which is the only perspective I can give. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you you have those people who you just cannot stand to be around. But you also have the people who you just want to be around all the time. And like you feel like a better person when you're with them or everything just seems to make more sense when you're with them and it could be friends or it can be a partner or whatever or a family member but it's yeah like the people who you're with can really make or break um how you look at the world around you and how you experience it as well um something i wanted to ask you guys so um in the very end when we're all of these old characters were being like shown that they're here um it describes how Tyrion, when he sees that uh king frank and queen helen are there uh it describes it says so the direct quote is Tyrion felt as you would feel if you were brought before adam and eve in all their glory which i thought was interesting because i never really thought of adam and eve as being like someone who if i saw in heaven i would like get all like excited and timid and like oh my gosh it's adam and eve like i wouldn't be like like i don't know because they are in some way i think especially eve like they're kind of vilified in a lot of ways <laughs> just like in how we remember them and how we talk to them or about them not to them so um i just thought it was so interesting that he lewis compared helen and frank to adam and eve
2: i think if you think about them in the context of being the first people ever i i I think if you did just like happen to bump into them Mm -hmm. you would probably have some level of like oh my god like that's the those are the first people ever (laughs) like that's kind of crazy like imagine the perspective that you would have if you were literally the first you would be Mm. um but yeah i mean i think maybe it's it's more to do with like a symbolic significance that like the categories of adam and eve have than necessarily adam and eve as individuals if that makes sense yeah but yeah i I understand what you're saying
0: yeah because because in in my because like so frank and helen they were the first king and queen of narnia but they weren't the first people in narnia and they also weren't the first people or the first beings born of narnia like, those, because the the way that Aslan brings the animals into existence is much like how God brought Adam into existence, like, so through, like, the dust and stuff, or, like, the dirt. Um, whereas the first humans in Narnia would have been Diggory, Polly, and Uncle Andrew. And then the first humans born in Narnia would have been the children of Frank and Helen. So I just thought it was interesting. Because, like, Adam and Eve, obviously, for us, are the first people ever on Earth in existence. And, like, Adam was literally brought into existence through the dirt and the dust of the ground. Um, but, yeah. Anyway, yeah. There, I think I think this book also had a lot more, like, clear-cut biblical analogies in it. So, um, the ones that stood out the most to me are uh Tyrion and Jewel killing the um horse driver, which reminded me uh of Moses uh killing the other person. Um and then also Jewel and Tyrion again um Tyrion, at some point, is like, "Jewel, you should go, you should escape and go away from me, and Jewel is like, I would rather die a thousand deaths with you than run away, or something like that. And that just reminded me of, like, Ruth and Naomi. And the whole um, your people shall be my people thing. Um, and then this one was just, like, a very direct thing, um, when Lucy, when they're explaining, trying I believe when they're explaining to Tyrion that the stable is, like, it's, like, bigger on the inside, and Lucy says, um, once in our world, too, there was a stable with something magnificent inside, which is directly referencing, um, Jesus being born in the stable. And then... So Aslan throughout this entire series um, is referred to. I want to make sure that I quote it correctly because. Um, anyway, Aslan is throughout the series. I can't find it right now. But Aslan throughout the series is referred to like the King of the Eastern Sea or something like that. Um, and in this book, we Aslan says. Um, he says, like, I and my father, who is king of the Eastern Sea. He doesn't say, I am king of the Eastern Sea. Um, which I thought was really interesting, because we never, like, like Aslan up until this point has kind of been, like, all aspects of the Trinity. And there ha- never has been mentioned, like a, like, a father, son, and Holy Ghost isn't something that is talked about in this, and then in this book at the very end is the first time when we we hear any reference to another not another being but like another aspect of aslan's character
3: yeah um in relation to that just one last thing that i mentioned or noticed is um that is the seven friends of narnia and mm-hmm. seven is the number of completion in the bible and shows up a lot like the seven days of creation and like it mm-hmm. just shows up so many times yeah so um i'm wondering because of the seven friends of the of narnia and they all show up and like it's great um i was just wondering if perhaps susan being left out was more of a like a like i need this this holy number to be part of it Mm -hmm. more than i think that susan would reject narnia
0: and all Mm -hmm. that yeah yeah that is really interesting um Cause yeah, I wouldn't eight isn't really a number you see in right. the Bible at all. Yeah, yeah, that well, is. Well, in Revelations, is, oh no, go ahead. Okay, uh, Revelations
3: is a book of well, obviously it's not the book of numbers, but it's a book of numbers. Like mm-hmm. there's the twenty four elders and like the several like it, it, it's just a book of numbers. There are so many numbers in that book, mm-hmm. and seven is the, is a number that shows up a lot. So I'm just wondering what the significance there is. No, yeah. and I guess. We can never know, but we
0: can definitely speculate. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, a fun question that Kristina asked um was out of all of the side characters in this book, who is your favorite and why? So I because I feel like in Narnia the the difference between a side character and a main character is so slim. Like there's yeah. it's kind of hard to really say. I said Ginger the Cat. <laughs> Mm. Um, just because um, I think it's really interesting how up until Ginger is introduced into the scenario like the the, there's a lot of manipulation going on already by the time he shows up but none of it is backed by logic and Ginger Mm. comes in and is able to take all this nonsense and make it sound logical which I mean isn't a good thing but I just thought it was really interesting. Mm.
2: I like the eagle. I don't remember what his name is or her name is. I don't even really remember what gender they were. Um, but uh, the, the eagle that like flies around mm-hmm. is
0: like- Farsight, Farsight out, the eagle.
2: The sea, like that, that sort of thing. I just, I think there's something very endearing about like a, a, the idea of like an eagle that flies around and like it's looking out for his friends and stuff. I just think that's uh, Yeah.
3: There's
2: something very nice about that that image.
3: For me, it would have to be either the dwarves for, like, a, I don't know, like, a theological, like, a, I can relate to these people reason, mm-hmm. or it would have to be the boy at the end whose name I can't pronounce correctly. Emeth? Who is in, how, how did you say it?
0: Emeth?
3: Emeth, okay, we'll go with that, yeah. yeah. That's how it's spelled, um, I don't know
0: right. <laughs> if that's how it's says.
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, Emeth, I just love him, I love that he does right in the face of
0: so much wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Far Side the Eagle was a really fun addition. Because we, we, like, have gotten like eagles in the other books, but, like, we're just like, oh, and then a talking eagle came and helped out. But, like, it's never been, like, a, a character that we get to know a bit. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, Poggin the Dwarf is also a fun fun one. He's the dwarf that, um, leaves the group of dwarves and joins their side
3: yeah i think in the same same manner as the kid whose name i've already forgotten (laughs) um he he takes the cynicism
0: and he says no like i will not succumb to this Mm -hmm. and i think that's that's both
3: really inspiring and and kind of like
0: that's so cute like look at him go (laughs) (laughs) yeah the dogs are also really fun (laughs) because like they're still like i feel like the talking beasts are 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 all kind of like i mean they're animals and they still do things that animals like like the horses still like to roll and things like that but the characteristics of what animal they are don't carry into like the way they talk and stuff whereas the dogs it it, it describes i think i think it, it directly says Even though they were talking dogs, they were still as doggy as a dog could be or something like that. Like, they're just kind of running around and excited and like, we want to help, we want to help. And (laughs) I also really love their comment on, I think Eustace at some point refers to the, um, the dwarves as dogs. And one of the dogs is like, hey and then an older dog responds no it's okay we sometimes call like our puppies boys if they're not behaving and then another dog says yeah or girls and then the old dog goes shh you can't say that remember who we're with like it's (laughs) like just a little a little hidden grown-up joke in there all right any last remarks I feel like we're slowing down a bit, so. <laughs> good
2: book. Good book. We love the book. Yes. Good book. Mostly. Yeah. Mostly,
0: mostly. Mostly. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, to end, I'd like to ask the two of you what your ranking of the Narnia books would be, from favorite Ooh, to least favorite. Okay. I uh, have to think about that one for a second. Yeah. I okay. Here okay. Here's here's here. I'm gonna I'm gonna wing it here. So I think there's seven books, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it, uh, I think the worst one is Silver Chair, which I kind of already indicated in the last
2: episode. Um, <laughs> then, then, oh, I'm gonna get so much hate for this. Then I would probably say Dawn Treader. Oh. Then, then Caspian, <laughs> then Magician's Nephew. Did I miss one? No, no, no. Then Magician's Nephew. Then Last Battle. Then Horse and His Boy. Then *Lion the Witch and
0: the Wardrobe*. Okay. I think I got that. Wow. Wow.
2: Yeah. And that was worst to best. That was worst to best.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. So your top three are *Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe*, *The Horse and His Boy*, and *The Last Battle*.
2: Yeah, I think I, actually uh, maybe I would switch *Magician's Nephew* and *Last Battle*. I really like *Magician's Nephew*.
0: Okay. Yeah. And that's a good one.
2: But maybe I wouldn't. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's something like that. It's somewhere in that range.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Theo, what about you?
3: I would put Magician's Nephew at the bottom. I do not like that. Really? It's beautiful world building, but I just don't like it. Wow. I see. Yeah. So that would probably be my least favorite. Then, Silver Silver Chair. I I love it, but not as much as I love the other ones. (laughs) And to be fair, like, when I was a kid, I was like, this is so creepy. I don't like this. Yeah. (laughs) Um... Hmm, then maybe Last Battle, and then I guess Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe would be right in the middle for me. It's it's a good book, mm-hmm. but I, I just, I like the other ones better. Yeah. Um. Then I would say Horse and His Boy, Prince Caspian, *Don Treader. I
0: see. Nice. Interesting. <laughs> That's really cool. I think, I'll, I'll need to try and remember what I said to Christina, but I think my so my favorite is dawn Treader and then it goes uh oh what did i say i think i said second favorite horse and his boy and then line the witch in the wardrobe and the last battle are tied for third or magician's nephew and then last battle Prince Caspian Silver Chair. I think that's what I said. I could be completely wrong, but fun times. Don People love Dawn Treader. I need to read it again. Maybe I'm misremembering. If... I think what happened is I might be thinking also of the pretty mediocre Dawn Treader movie that they made, <laughs> um, which might be poisoning my perspective a little bit. So maybe I need to read it again. I'll, I'll read it again and then I'll get back to you guys. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, guys, thank you so much for being down to do this on such short notice. I'm sorry about that. But (laughs) it was really fun to have you guys both um, on the pod at the same time. It was awesome.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks.
0: And with that, our coverage of the Narnia series has come to an end. This has been so much fun, and I'm really proud of how all of these turned out, and I just want to say a quick thank you to everyone who is listening in. Um, I really appreciate your, y'all's interest in this podcast. It's really um, a passion project of mine, and I can't wait to continue it. I will be taking a week off just to sort of recalibrate and prepare for the next topic of discussion. And then we will be back on Tuesday, February 28th, to uh, continue. Thank you so much for listening in on this week's episode of Books in the Corner. To find out more about the books that me and my friends read as kids, you can listen to any previous episodes on the Anchor website, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye!